0: This is Your Other Brother's Podcast.
1: Navigating faith, homosexuality, and masculinity together and also apart. This is a historic podcast because for the first time that I can recall, first time that we are all in different locations, that like never happens. We are always so communal on the Yabcast. But today, from the jewel of Northeast Georgia, my name is Tom. What's up everybody? Joining me from the city of Oaks, it's my brother Ryan. Hey everyone. And there's a big thunderstorm
2: brewing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it's very moody over here. So maybe if you listen closely, you can pick up on some of the mood going on here in Rock. My my, forish
1: presence is still
2: there in the city yeah, of Yeah, you're here in spirit. It's very dark manifesting outside.
1: in the clouds, yes. And then also joining us from the Midwest, no word yet on the weather patterns there. It's our brother, Jacob. What's up, Jacob?
3: Hey, guys. It's good to be here. Uh, Currently, it is raining, but it's a nice, gentle, calming rain. So, uh, still a bit moody, but not quite as bad as Oakland. Would you say it's
1: more of a lull, more of a lulling rain?
3: Yes, it's a dreary, lullabying rain. Lullabying
1: rain. In the Midwest. Very nice, very (laughs) nice. Well, y'all, I'm glad you're here because we're not done talking about emotional attachment. We got more more stuff to say. And we're mm-hmm. going to keep talking about it here tonight with a very special guest. I feel like, you know, I feel like I don't want to denigrate anybody on this podcast. I'll just, I'll just put myself out there. I don't want to degrade myself because I think I have stories to tell. I think I have wisdom to bestow. But I, I will readily admit I'm limited. I do not know everything. I know very little in the grand scheme of things. And I'm going to assume y'all are the same. I assume y'all are also very smart and have stories to share, but not wizards who know everything. I mean, we we
3: understand at this point that we are no longer special, and it was, we've just come to <laughs> accept that, so
1: no worries. Perfect. So that's where that's where it's really great to bring in outside voices and outside wisdom and outside knowledge and uh, stories to share. And so we have a very special guest coming on a little bit, a little bit later in this show, so stay tuned because we're going to talk all about emotional attachment and uh, dive even deeper, deeper than we've already dove dove dive dive yes. uh, yes. dove in, dove in. Yeah. deeper than we've already deeper than in. we've ever dove, dove in, in. Yes. that sounds about right that sounds about right but first before we get to the special guest before we get to more emotional attachment y'all how are you doing we have some updates to get to um i know ryan was on a train mm-hmm. and jacob was on a boat oh yeah and i was in, in a, a car. bed, I was in a car, itching with poison ivy, which thankfully <laughs> I have now fully recovered. My pink scales, Woohoo! my pink calamine scales, have melted off, and I'm a, I'm reborn into a new Tom with literal new skin. It's, it's a glorious thing. The human body is amazing, y'all. Agreed. Indeed. <laughs> Agreed and indeed. Um, so yeah, who wants to go first and tell me about your adventure? Y'all had some some travels.
2: I'll go first because I'm sure Jacob's is going to be more exciting than mine. Mm. I I rode on a train for a total of 20 hours. (laughs) 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 Um, It was about what I expected. You know, it wasn't super glamorous, but it was pretty chill. Except I managed to each time sit within one row of kind of the most obnoxiously annoying people on the train. So like there was a snack car and like when they would come back to their seats from the snack car, I'd leave my seat and go to the snack car, and then you know we'd switch places um, because I didn't want to be near them. <laughs> so, uh, but but it was cool. It was um, it was amazing. I was surprised how fast the train would go sometimes, especially through the Northeast. I downloaded a speedometer app on my phone that uses the GPS to tell you how fast you're going, and through some of the through through some of the, the the stretches in like New Jersey we were going like 115 120 miles an hour and oh, wow. it was kind of wild because we would like just zoom right through like train stations like right by platforms with people on them like an arms like the way and I was like bruh we're going 120 miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> like stand back <laughs> but um yeah so it was it was cool I I did not write anything as, as uh, Tom suggested. <laughs> um, Ugh. I felt, wah, wah, wah. I have a hard time writing when I feel like somebody can read when I'm writing. And so public spaces like a train or planes are never good for that for me.
1: Oh, I see. Um, so
2: you need to go into a hole in a cave somewhere. Animals. Yeah, 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 I do. Or, or scare everyone else out of the coffee shop.
1: Well, I need, yeah, I need. I definitely need chaos around me. I, that's why I do all my writing in coffee shops. But I do wonder, and I mentioned this on the last episode, I wonder if I were on a train, if I would just be so mesmerized by the sights. Was it like a pretty train ride? Like, did you go through some scenic areas? Or was it more so just industrial or wasteland?
2: It was either kind of industrial or through a lot of the southeast you're just going through like a corridor of trees so you just saw like banks of shrubs on either side gotcha sometimes you're going through little towns and and such
1: that's cool i would still love to go on a long train ride like that someday
2: Mm -hmm. regardless
1: of the scenery around me i bet that was aesthetically enjoyable well very good jacob meanwhile just as exciting you went to alaska (laughs) Indeed, yes. <laughs> on I a boat. On a <laughs> yes, I went on my first
3: ever cruise wow. to the last frontier or the final frontier. I, I don't ever know which, which one was actually ever that Alaska was ever referred to as or one of those is which one is space. only used for Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, I think space is the final frontier. And Alaska's the last frontier. I might just be making this up. Tom, is that accurate? That <laughs> is, sounds about Is right. any of that true? One of them I just is said? space and one of them is
1: Alaska. Okay. I'm not sure which came good. first.
3: Good, good. Anyways, it was awesome. Uh, we had, from what we had heard going in, uh, and Alaskan cruise is kind of risky in that like, you can have really rainy, crappy weather the entire time and it makes it just a whole lot less pleasant we had beautiful gorgeous days basically every day so like low 70s sunny it was it was amazing and alaska is a very beautiful place that i learned and uh cruising life is rather sweet and i don't normally eat a dessert after every meal but you better bet that i did (laughs) and it was excellent um and you're 30 pounds yeah. lighter right i'm 30 pounds lighter yes yep yep i'm in the best There's something shape about being on the sea <laughs> at this it's point.
1: like it, it impacts you less right you're like sure you're sort of sure, wa- sure, it's sure. like being in space you're more weightless in, on the water yeah that's how that works
3: uh i did uh i did work out with my br- with my brother on the first day and so those were some good intentions that didn't quite last longer than the first day oh but it was nice to start it was a good start yeah yeah he did do other things kind of throughout because he's uh, currently training for a triathlon that he's doing. And so he was actually much more active and intentional. But my motivation and
1: desire kind of went
4: pooh,
1: pooh, after day one. <laughs> well, what was like I've never been on a cruise. So enlighten me where they like I picture a cruise having like excellent food and a pool and mini golf and sure. a jacuzzi and yes, yes. And like does it have those activities, those it has Yeah, it has
3: it has more that you can do on it than I imagined. There there wasn't any mini golf, which is which is sad, oh. but it was uh so we went with Royal Caribbean on what not their biggest ship, but a really big one. So there were forty nine hundred passengers. Um on the ship, and there were three pools, and um, gyms, and theaters, and restaurants, and yeah, it's. I would say that overall, like your like main like food time and like eating area, like it is, um, it is definitely uh, quantity over quality. I would say like yes, it did it did have some really good stuff, but I would say that for the most part, it's really about you're getting an obscene amount of food at any time. Than it is like these are the best
2: meals that you've ever had in your life. That also depends on the cruise line. I think that's Royal Caribbean, but like other cruise lines are going to have higher quality food. What was your favorite? What was your favorite port of call? I would say probably, probably
3: Skagway, um, because during that, um, during that
1: port. Was that a knock on your door, Jacob? That I heard <laughs> just now?
3: Yeah, it was, which makes me a little nervous. I don't know. Why?
1: <laughs> you should probably go, go see who's who's Yeah, there. can I go check yeah, on that? Ch- I don't, don't check know on that. who would be here.
3: <laughs> I didn't I didn't order food, so it's not Grubhub.
1: <laughs> it's definitely not Grubhub. <laughs> I wish the camera was facing the other way. I would love to see what's yeah. happening right <laughs> What what you got there, friend? So I just got a
3: delivery from Grubhub of a styrofoam thing of anchovies and two packets of honey. I don't know where they're from. But the lady at the door said, this is a very strange order. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't make it.
4: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. you guys.
3: There
1: you go, Jacob.
3: Eat up. You guys timed that perfectly. Where did hey, okay, I, I need I need to know where you found a place to order from where you could just get anchovies. Have a very strong smell. Don't don't oh.
1: question my methods. <laughs> my was question, was your Grubhub delivery person disabled this this time? No,
3: she was very young and vibrant and physically fit. Okay. She was just confused
1: because I was confused
3: because I didn't order anything and she said, "Well, it's already been paid for." So it hasn't <laughs> okay.
1: you should I'll let you rest easy knowing she was tipped wow. very well and oh, she good. yeah and I hope I hope you didn't spend a lot and on now you are going fishies. to be healthy and vibrant and strong <laughs> for this podcast. Um, You're so sweet. Have you ever had I am a bit Have you ever I, had anchovies before?
3: Uh, I have had them on Caesar salad before. Oh, Never okay. just by their lonesome. I was really Do I dip them? <laughs> do I dip them in the honey? Do they, they do they take a little oh, yeah. swim in the yeah, honey? Yeah, or yeah, do absolutely. I drizzle the honey over all of them and sort of mix them up. They're called. I don't know. They're called honey honey
1: chovies, and you. I'm yeah, you just let them swim around for a little bit, and then you slip <laughs> <swip> them up. <laughs> how did you? How did how
3: did you get it to be timed so? So perfectly.
1: I gave
2: her explicit
1: instructions to enter your door at 6.35 <laughs> p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> I made sure you were talking during the pocket. This thing was very meticulously wow. planned wow. From, the, from the beginning. All right, moving this show, this anchovy-ridden <laughs> show along, um, is time for everyone's favorite intro segment, the triumphant tidbit what is up with everyone? We've always called it this. It's always been called the triumphant tidbit, and we're gonna <laughs> share some triumphant things. Starting with the man with the anchovies and the honey, the honeychovies, Jacob, what is your
3: triumphant Thank you, tidbit? Sarah. So my triumphant tidbit, or my TT, as we always call it, just for short, little little funsies. Because we are today, we're going to be continuing with attachment and different attachment styles. I wanted to, as I just came back from vacationing, I wanted to talk about our vacation styles because as I have learned from being a human for 28 years, everyone enjoys vacation and does vacationing a little bit differently. And so, for instance, uh, when it comes to uh, myself, I usually am more of the like relaxation, go with the flow, kind of chill, chill lower key while my brother who is great and in an Enneagram seven needs to be doing something at every moment of every day and being on a, being on a cruise where there are basically unlimited options of things mm. that you can do and be involved in. He got a little overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but I think also at, at the end of it loved the fact there was always something that he could be doing. However, because we are very different in that way, we, we do kind of butt butt heads a little bit when it comes to like, I don't like to be forced into things on a vacation that I don't like, even if I, even if they're not bad things, I don't like being forced into activities or excursions or what have you. Um, And so I would be, I'm curious to hear from the two of you, your vacation styles Mm. and what that looks, looks like for you guys.
1: Well, first of all, I don't like how you're framing this as, I, Good versus evil. I yeah <laughs> I go this way and I have to deal with my brother who yeah, operates this way. Yeah, that is way. Yep, yeah, that's it. Whereas I think there is value in both ways of experiencing eh, a vacation, eh. the chill and sure. the not so chill.
3: No, I understand. Yes, yes, I am, I am thankful for the ways that he does pull me out of my chill, to, to do things that I might not otherwise do. So Nate, thank you. That is that's an excellent thing.
1: Yeah, like when I go on vacation, I don't want to just sit in the hotel room and watch Netflix the whole time. Like that's oh, the sure. world is spinning by. We need to go out and conquer the world. So I probably lean more toward your brother as far as vacation styles go. But but I mean, I also enjoy rest. I enjoy chill too. I think there's a place for both. But if you're going to press me into one style or the other, I'm I'm with your brother all the way.
3: Well, yeah. Also, I don't I don't want to c- uh com- come at this and say that there are only two vacation styles. Mm -hmm. So I want, if you feel like you have a, you have other ones that are more nuanced or or different, please, by all means, I don't want to force
2: you into
1: a box (laughs) that you don't fit in. Ryan, what box do you fit in?
2: I, I would have to, I'd probably lean more towards Jacob's style where like I, okay, if I'm going to a destination for the destination, then I'm going to have like two or three non-negotiables like things I definitely want to do and see while I'm there. Mm-hmm. And then I'm willing to fill in, fill in the rest of the time with, with other stuff and kind of go with the flow for that. But especially for longer trips or trips with family, I really do need some time to sort of like have to myself and pull away and not be socially engaged with, uh, with the people I'm vacationing with. And so one like cruises, really great for that because you can sort of like lose yourself on the ship and yep like find yeah hide find some something else to do find somewhere else to go um when I'm not on a boat with family um I find it's helpful to like stay stay at the house while everyone else goes out and do does something or go out to the coffee shop if I need to do if I need to so yeah i I wanna do like the few key things that I've decided I wanna do and I'll be pretty gung-ho and like I'll make that make it happen, but then um, but then I need to balance that with some alone time as well. What's your favorite chill activity,
1: Jacob? Like while while your brother's out climbing walls Ooh. and swimming canals and, and running marathons, like what <laughs> yes. are you what are you doing? Yeah, so there was
3: a part of the ship called the solarium, which was an adults only section and it has it's it's at the front of the ship um it's almost entirely windows and it's got lounge chairs it had four hot tubs and like three little pools that were like heated pools you could kind of lounge in and there were waiters walking around bringing people drinks and so there were a few times that I would just go there and it was it was quiet it was peaceful you could like look out and see beautiful things and so I would sit in there and read and order a blue margarita and just yeah relax I loved it
1: see I could do that for 10 minutes maybe, <laughs> maybe 20 but then really? I'd be like, That's it. I need to go. Yeah, like when my family when we took vacations as a kid, we went to the beach. I mean, this is a whole mm-hmm. nother rant on beach on beaches. But uh, but yeah, no, it's like we would go there to go to the beach and just like lie there on the sand for hours. And I'm like, what are we doing? What is the point of this? <laughs> I need to go out and do something. So there is there's a lot of contention there with my family. But but you you also spend much, I would assume,
3: that when you are reading books you, s- you spend longer than 10 minutes at a time reading something right
1: not usually no like honestly lately the last oh, several years okay. of my life okay. I read for about 10 minutes and I get bored or I fall asleep it's not a good Fair thing enough. this is a thing I need to work on because I would I'd love the idea of just being someone who could sit down and read for three hours I want to read more for sure but the idea of just not moving for that long is just crippling <laughs> I don't know. Okay, understood. So I think what we've learned here is that we would all be horrible on a vacation together, but that's okay. We'll, just, <laughs> we'll power through it. Let's yeah. never go
2: on a vacation together.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tom, what is your triumphant tidbit? I'm glad you asked, Jacob. My triumphant tidbit is very simple. I am going to cut right to the chase. There's no big long story. There's no like. Uh, uh, there's no news article. There's no yeah. There's nothing I'm pulling from. This is just straight out of my hat. A get to know you question. And it goes with this concept of triumph. I want to know, when was the last time each of you felt mighty? When was the last time, this isn't like a silly question, like when did you feel like, dang, like I I did that, or I'm a man, or I'm, you know, like I did that. Like what comes to mind as something where you just felt super proud? I mean, you can just you can spin this any way you want. Like I felt super proud in this moment. I felt blah, 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 blah. But I, I was, for some reason today, really stuck on this word, this, this concept of triumph and might. So I want to know when the last time you felt that was.
2: So I think the easy answer for me comes from CrossFit. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is just a segue into talking about CrossFit. Yeah. Always this is now a CrossFit. Always comes, <laughs> comes back to CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. Every single time. Tell us about CrossFit, Ryan. If you're not familiar with CrossFit, every day you have a workout of the day and they have like an RX version, so that's like the prescribed version. Uh, and then they have a scaled version because the prescribed version is not something a normal typical human could usually do. Um, unless you've been doing CrossFit for a while. So people go and like do CrossFit for like a year or two before they, um, before they can do the RX workouts regularly. But a few weeks ago, um, the RX workout was not, was not like something that was totally out of my range of capability. And I tried it and I managed to do the prescribed workout and it involved, um, carrying a, a heavy medicine ball above my head for hundreds of meters um, and also doing a bunch of Russian twists, which is like a, a core a core workout you do on the ground um, and then some like back extensions on this one machine. So it wasn't like as far as RX workouts go, it wasn't super crazy it's probably the easiest one ever but, I was, like, so proud of myself, and I felt so accomplished, Mm. like, wow, these few months, these six months or whatever in CrossFit have really paid off.
1: That's awesome. I have never done a, uh, yeah, I've never done an RX workout. I haven't done CrossFit in a few months now with all my instability, but Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. My goal when I first started was, like, I just want to, like, can I just do the women's weight and even that was really hard for me. And then there was some there was some workouts toward the end of my run with CrossFit that I was able to do the women's weight like prescription, and that was encouraging. I was like, okay, I'm yeah, I'm propelling, I'm moving in some direction, and uh, and that was great
2: too. I also feel very mighty doing any of the uh, Olympic lifts, like snatches and jerks and deadlifts, all that. Yeah, very conducive to feeling triumphant mighty and powerful which is fun
1: right because if I ever tried any of those workouts like in a public gym I would probably just faint from the shame of it all you know <laughs> like a physically I can't do it but b, like who am I who am I to thrust this
2: bar into the air like I know what I'm doing I don't have the answer to that Tom you have the answer D, who, am I? To <laughs> who only, am I only you, you can answer that Tom
3: who am I? <laughs>
2: <laughs> what about you, Jacob? When did
1: you last feel mighty?
3: Yeah, so what came to mind at first didn't quite seem like it fit with what you were asking, but now that I think about it more, I think it I think it does, and I will attempt to explain. So on this cruise that I was just on, one of the fun things that you could be involved in was a karaoke competition. Mm. Um, so I decided to, uh, me and my bro uh took part and um i ended up winning it wow and so Ooh. what like yes and what what made it even better is that i won by singing let it go <laughs> from frozen are we ever going to be able to get away from <laughs> no nope, songs never. like the last few episodes never. it's just so musical heavy <laughs> Dang. and people loved it and i felt yeah i felt amazing um and i think that like yes it does seem like kind of silly to win a karaoke competition on a ship like not it's like a super mighty thing but when i like think about that the kind of just like the kind of confidence that i feel like i i have now that i didn't have when i was younger and just that like being secure enough as a man to sing let it go to a crowd full of people like that that is actually like that is meaningful and that does that does feel like something of value, even though from the outside might seem kind of trivial.
1: No, I couldn't do that. <coughs> At least I don't think I could. <laughs> mm, that's no. amazing. What? Um, Thanks. So did you sing the entire song? Was it like the whole yeah. thing? Wow.
3: The whole thing. And I did, like, I I really went all that. Like, I had hand motions <coughs> and during it's the, like, theatrical. That, there's that, yes, during that little, like, interlude time I actually spun around and it was so is your brother I singing just, too I just had a lot of fun yes he's sang, uh I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston Ooh. which I I do have recorded on I was video. gonna say is this
1: recorded in some Anything capacity in either his performance or yours Mine is,
3: yes, mine is on my cousin's phone that I have not actually seen yet, mm. but I, I have my brother's on my phone, so that can be readily available to, or I'll just, yeah, I will I will see if, like, Nate wants to pay me a certain quantity of money to
1: not release it to friends and family, mm. then we'll see. What's well, exciting? Did your brother place at all? Was there, like, a first, second, third thing, or was it just so winner? So he,
3: he drew a very short straw in that the, the key that he had to sing his song in was Whitney Houston's key. And so it was like, it was too high for him. And then to sing it an octave lower was too low. So like mm. he did great and and he had fun fun with it, but like it wasn't in a comfortable singing range. So I know that, yeah, he'd, he wasn't quite feeling it. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Well, congratulations. That is indeed very mighty. Like Thanks. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Tom. How about you? As for me, I, yeah, mine's not as flashy. Like, I was thinking about this myself. I was like, I could say CrossFit, which is true. Like, I felt, I have felt mighty at CrossFit, but it's been several months since I did CrossFit. So I'm trying to think, like, huh, in all these months of wandering, crossing the country, going on these travels and meeting folks and and going on hikes, like, I'm trying to think, like, was there any moment in any of that where I felt mighty? Um... And I think, honestly, what I, what I kept coming back to was in the aftermath of my grandfather's death. My grandfather passed away uh, a couple months ago while I was traveling. And this was my first experience with grief, like as far as physical loss goes. Um, I've never lost a loved one, and I've been blessed to go so long without experiencing that. Um, and to lose my grandfather, definitely a spiritual giant, a hero in my life, um, someone that just always made me laugh and smile and had wisdom to bestow. Um, in the aftermath of his death and the funeral service, uh, like, yeah, there were, there were hard moments and there was tears spilled for sure. But I also took it upon myself to let it out and to take care of myself. And I had to like, it was a long story, but I had to adjust my travel plans because I had all these plans before he died to go other places. And so I had to kind of change my trajectory of where I was going on this road trip. And I decided to go up to Maine. I was, looked at the map and I just decided, you know what, That's I think Maine would be beautiful right now. I think Maine is just what I would need. And I'm going to go to Maine for a week and just like climb things and disappear and turn things off and uh, and take care of myself and just kind of nurture nurture my soul right now because not only yeah, am I dealing with the loss of my grandfather, I'm also dealing with trying to figure out where my life is going in this season of indecision and transition. And, and so I went to Maine for, yeah, about a week this summer where I got those aforementioned mosquito bites and poison ivy, like all that goodness came from me. So that was like an unfortunate consequence, uh, of this decision. But be- beyond that, I, there were times where I climbed trails that no one else climbed. And cause it was a very touristy crowded time to go in the middle of July. Um, but I found some trails where no one really followed and the the sense of just like I'm accomplishing what few are daring to do um, was a powerful thing, and I've climbed, I've climbed more arduous trails than that, and I've hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I've done some other epic things. This wasn't like any kind of mammoth feat or anything, but yeah, just to be able to to climb a mountain at sunset and to be able to look out and breathe and release like that was that was special. It was mighty on a physical sense, but it was also mighty from the emotional as well and so um, I'm grateful for my time in Maine. Maine was very special for me this summer. Mighty, mighty times in Maine. That's awesome. Very good. So you guys, we finally did it. I don't know if you heard. The news broke on the Your Other Brothers Instagram, Twitter and Facebook feeds earlier this week but we finally hit 100 iTunes ratings and reviews at long last and it was
2: so exciting.
1: We celebrate Yeah, we've we are we are a lot in a big celebratory mood right now because fifty episodes and now hundred reviews ratings. This is amazing. Like, I checked it and I wasn't expecting to see a hundred. Like, I've been seeing for the last several weeks, if not months, I've been seeing like eighty something, ninety something, and we've been slowly crawling, crawling toward that hundred mark. And I've been expecting it for a while, but it's taken it's taken some time getting there. And so finally, finally it happened. We are now we're actually now at a hundred and
2: one. So that is remarkable. Ooh. Um, and, t- Tom, you'll thank me for this now, but none of those are me. That's true. Uh, so we did not, in fact, like cheat to get there. Right, right, right.
1: Ryan joked many episodes ago that he was going <laughs> to latch on hundredth? to that 100th review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
2: Ryan. But I just
1: wanted to, yeah, give a shout out to those people. We have a couple of reviews that I've, I've been wanting to read now since uh, since the news happened. Um, and here are some of our faithful yobbers and just rando rando yob people who decided to comment and leave us a review Um, this person joel he says what i've been looking for i can't fully articulate how grateful i've been to discover the yob podcast i've been same-sex attracted since puberty and in a mixed orientation marriage for 13 years and this whole time i have been living in almost total isolation other than my wife i have so longed to connect with others who are like me followers of jesus who are living as disciples and finding their identity in him first and foremost I have so craved to have other men who share experiences like I have, and the podcast has been such a blessing. So, Oh, we love Joel, you, Joel. You Welcome Joel. to the tribe. Welcome to the tribe. Um, here's another one from EduCat.
2: <laughs> My favorite
1: kind of cat. EduCat3127. Um, they say, an authentic podcast. I'm grateful for having come across your other brother's blog and podcast. I enjoy listening to Tom and your other brothers discuss various topics in an authentic and vulnerable way. I was hesitant at first of giving your other brothers a try since I'm a Roman Catholic Christian, and most, if not all, of your other brothers' bloggers come from a Protestant background. Through reading and listening to your other brothers, I have found hope in one day finding other brothers and sisters that can support me as I strive to become the man God has created me to be with a rightly ordered identity and perspective with regards to handling my same-sex attraction experience." So thank you to EduCat. Yeah, big shout out to our Catholic audience because we have, we have a decent number. I mean, they're not as plentiful maybe as other denominations represented, but there are Catholic people in our midst and the ones I've encountered along the way are mm-hmm. really great people and I'm super grateful for their perspective and what they contribute to this community.
2: I always feel, I always feel really relieved when I get any sort of approval from a Catholic person. <laughs> We're
1: not going to dive into the (laughs) psychology of that because we don't have time for that, but (laughs) I affirm your affirmation of that, Ryan. Um, No Way Alexi... Thank you, EduCat. No Way Alexi commented, and I love the subject line. The subject is v helpful, v helpful. So No Way Alexi says, I was praying last year about my struggles with SSA and wondering how I could move forward and work on it and surrender it to God. All I could think of was telling friends I had SSA. Going beyond that, I literally had no idea. But I've been listening to this show for a while, and it's been V-helpful. V meaning very, I can assume. I have quite a bit to chew on now, and this has helped me process my own struggles while simultaneously affirming that I'm not alone. God bless y'all.
2: Thanks, Alexi. We're glad it's been voraciously helpful. Voraciously helpful.
1: We are V-grateful as well. <laughs> Dsex370 <laughs> D6. just says, Wow. So let's see what D-Sex has to say. I've struggled with SSA since I was in elementary school, and now being a freshman in college at a Christian school, I really felt like an outcast. Recently, someone introduced me to Yab, and I've listened to four of them the past day and a half. It is really great to hear sides about these struggles and how much I can relate to them, and having somewhere to get encouragement, since I feel as though there aren't people here for me to talk to. Man, huge shout-out to everyone listening from Christian schools, whether it's a Christian high school or Christian college, I've been there. I know the environment. I know the arena mm-hmm. quite well, and so you are certainly not alone. Amen. And then finally, wanted to read this rating. This rating review from J. Kel. It's a bit longer, but I love it so much. Um, his subject line is hopeful. All these, by the way, five-star reviews. It's it's hopefully without going without saying, but five-star reviews. Really grateful for every single one. Uh, J. Kel said, "Heyo." <laughs> heyo heyo long time listener here i first discovered y'all while searching on the interwebs during halftime at a texans playoff game probably a couple months after the podcast started this search was one of many throughout my years as a christian who struggles with labels or ssa or whatever the right word is now thankfully the blog and podcast were not a mirage but a real life oasis giving me a window into a world of actual people like me at least with this stuff I decided to review after the Letting Go episode, not because the others weren't good, but because it's the episode that answered one of my deep concerns with the Yabber Prize. I am thankful that there is a conscious shift toward the Rock of Ages himself, who has carried me and fulfilled the promises for community in his word to me time and again, especially through years of those promises sounding like despicable lies in light of what I was experiencing. A podcast centered on him and his Jesus work in your lives is worth way more than five stars, no matter how many small beefs I might have with certain things. P.S. Y'all have the best sponsors of any podcast I listen to. Legendary. Oh. <laughs> so thank you, Jay, Kel, because your aptly timed um, review and your praise of our sponsors segues us perfectly into the sponsor for this episode, which is actually the sponsor for last episode. But they were waiting to, um, they preferred to, to um, be promoted on the second episode as more of an emphatic. Like, yes, this is who we are, and we're standing up for this community and this topic. And that sponsor is Carabiners. I love Carabiners. <laughs> Which, fun fact, fun fact, when uh, this sponsor reached out to me, I could have sworn it was Carabiners this oh. whole time, but it's actually Carabiners. Oh.
3: Wow, I'm yeah. glad you got that sorted so, out. So, more fun fact, I. I think I actually only learned what those were probably two years ago. I had no idea.
2: Really? I would. Yeah. Ha, so when you went to a Buffalo Wild Wings in your cargo shorts, how else did you keep your keys <laughs> attached to you? Or did you I, not ever go
1: rock climbing at correct.
2: summer camp or all all of these things? <laughs> or what have else not been they a part for? of
1: my life? I'm so sorry. Part of the Jacob Indeed. experience. Okay. It's been a void. Well, well Jacob. You should give the sponsor a try because Carabiners. Oh no, no, no. no.
3: I have I have since strongly I have since learned to love them as they currently are holding the key to the pool and to my mailbox. So like incredible importance. Those aren't yeah,
1: those aren't going anywhere. Those are Mm, those those are are attached. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you, Carabiners, for not only sponsoring today's episode, but our mammoth epic celebratory fiftieth episode as well. And then finally, before we dive into this episode with our very special guest, um, I also wanted to give a big shout out to, I'm not going to name the name, of course, but I'm going to give a shout out to a lurker who, after listening to our last episode, decided to follow in the vein of Ryan and Jacob and become a lurker no more. And he is now a proud supporter of your other brothers on Patreon. And that is just super special to me to have gotten his email and to exchange some, exchange some stories with him in, in recent times. Um, super grateful for every lurker that comes out. <laughs> every lurker that comes out of hiding and joins the fold, joins the community, supports what we're doing. It means a lot. So thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about what we do and how you can support this effort, just go to patreon.com slash yourotherbros. All right, y'all. So we are continuing this conversation on emotional attachment and we're bringing in an expert. We're bringing in somebody who can carry us out of the mud and onto higher planes of knowledge and understanding. Um, and this is going to be so fun because we don't get to do this and I hope we do this more often, but we're bringing out somebody to join the podcast. Everyone welcome Taylor Zimmerman. What's up, Taylor? Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going so great. I'm so glad that <laughs> you're here, Taylor. All you and I on. have never met face to face, but I I've seen you. I've seen you in person before at Revoice presenting, uh, presenting. And Ryan, I think you met
2: Taylor, correct? Yes, yes, we met after his workshop at the most recent Revoice. Perfect.
1: So at least there's some familiarity here. And Jacob, you well, Jacob, you attended his his workshop as well, right?
3: Yeah. So I attended yours from last year. So.
1: Oh, okay, but. Yes. Yeah. Me as well. So, exactly. so it's good to have you, Taylor. You, you presented at revoice. So you obviously know something, you
4: know, <laughs> you have something
1: so rather than see one of my pet peeves is when people introduce guests as if they like they're reading off of a script and they're just reading like who this person is. I would much rather Taylor, you just tell us who you are. Give us like your 32nd elevator pitch. Who are you? Um, and introduce us for those that aren't aware of who you are.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't know if I would use the word expert to describe me. Uh, I think that uh, requires years and years of uh, research in the field to be considered an expert. <laughs> uh, con- uh, sort of an enthusiast, I think, of uh, attachment mm. theory. Uh, so my um, my research, I'm a student at the University of Chicago, uh, getting ready to uh, start my uh, third master's degree. Uh, I'm like a Trinitarian, uh, you know, master's <laughs> Uh, I just want to defer, you know, the real world as long as possible, you know, get all the students know, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, And so my area of interest is uh, philosophy of religion, theology, and psychoanalysis and how they all come together. Uh, And part of that has led me really deep into attachment theory. Uh, And so I have presented the last two years on boundaries uh, at Revoice, um, but largely it's uh, how do we understand ourselves as relational human beings? How do we understand these sorts of feelings that come up when we are in deep intimate relationships with other people on how can we normalize the things that ought to be normalized uh, and then draw attention to some of the things that we can do to ease some of the anxiety in our relationships, help to get a sense of, of safety and security and comfort um, and to ultimately have, have deeper, more fruitful, less anxious uh, relationships with other people. Um, so that's a, I think would be a little bit of where I kind of come from and and what my sort of orientation is with that.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Um, well, we're so glad you're here. Yeah. You may not consider yourself an expert, but let's just say you're more of an expert than the three of us. So we'll just, (laughs) we'll just leave it at that. Um, very cool. Well, I first heard about you before Revoice, you blogged a couple blogs on spiritual friendship, and that's how I found out about you. And so we'll probably reference maybe some of your writings from there throughout this conversation. But but before we get any further though, why don't we spend a couple minutes and just get to know you and pepper you with some questions, because that's what we like to do with our guests. We like to just like, <laughs> we like to assault our guests with questions to get to know you all the better. Um, and that, that's, that's where we go. So first question is we are, we are definitely big into personality types here at your other brothers. And so we definitely need to know, um, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, anything else that you feel is relevant to, to us understanding you as Taylor.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I only know both of those. So, okay. That's, my, that's my, Myers- <laughs> yes, yeah, great. Uh, my Myers-Briggs is, uh, INTJ. Mm. uh and then my enneagram number is actually four wing five so
1: uh we are <laughs> twins
5: Taylor. Well,
1: almost so i'm also a four wing five but i'm an infj so oh, there you
5: go there's a lot actually comfort. i think that i am the unique and special snowflake and no one is like
1: <laughs> jacob what do you have to say about <laughs> like a true four
3: <laughs> so yeah i just i tend to argue with people who think that they are an INFJ. But there are there's really only one like real INFJ in the world. And so I'm just I'm, I'm helping others find their true selves when they think they're yeah. Yeah. You know. Yes. You actually an ESTP.
2: You're yeah, you don't know <laughs> what you are. Just
3: listen to me. I'll
2: That's, help you out. <laughs> um what's your background or history with like Christianity?
5: Like sort of like what is my uh life put into narrative form in the form of a testimony?
2: Well, I I don't know. I guess like help. I, what I'm curious about is like what kind of a church do you go to, or like oh, how yeah. how does that play into maybe parts of your story? I don't need like mm. I'm not asking for a whole life story because Tom's just gonna edit it out. <laughs> help <laughs> help us get a picture for like how we can <laughs> um, you know connect with you on a, in spiritual terms.
5: Yeah, yeah. How did you guys talk for five hours and you only have thirty minutes? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I uh, I grew up or I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, so um, my family uh, is not religious. Uh, was sort of this angsty um, atheist kid. Uh, came to faith in a United Methodist church. Uh, then uh, discerned a call into ministry. Went to seminary. Uh, really became passionate about theology. Uh, and so during this time, I went from being United Methodist uh, to transitioning into the, the broader Anglican communion. Mm-hmm. So I would identify sort of theologically as Anglo-Catholic, uh, love all the smells and bells of worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I said that to someone once, and great. he uh, sort of grimaced, and he said, what do you mean by smells of worship? That's <laughs> 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 just it's. it's um, yeah, and so right now I uh, attend Episcopal Church because it's within walking distance of uh, my apartment in Chicago. Um, but, um, yeah, I would put myself in the sort of broader high church Anglican communion.
2: Okay. Okay.
5: Do you like board games? Um, I've only played a few. Uh, are uh, you, are you a kind of, super- <laughs> oh, God, I have played a few also. <laughs> a few? A few? <laughs> He played
2: a like few three? last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm.
3: Uh, so you you said that you currently live in Chicago. Yes. Uh, what are your most and least favorite parts of living in the windy city?
5: Hmm. Um. So I don't have a car, uh, and okay. so I, I walk to get groceries. I use a lot of the mass transportation. Um, it's uh, it's very colorful. It's very lively. Uh, there's a different culture on each block, uh, and I think that's what, one of the really exciting things about Chicago is there's always something new and different, and, and there's a lot of energy to the city. Um, I think uh, that might also be one of my least favorite parts of the city. <laughs> I grew up in the suburbs, and uh, I like to just go drive somewhere uh, and and to uh, get away from the city, and it's really hard to do that when you're right there smack dab in the, the center of everything.
3: <laughs> yeah, and if you don't have a car, it does make it tough to, to go drive places. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's challenging. Part Part two of that is, have you seen any musicals there, and what is your favorite musical? So... <laughs>
1: Musicals slash sporting events. Let's, let's put no, all those no. out
3: there.
5: There you
1: go.
5: Yes, so everything's right covered. Yeah, you yeah. can ask ask it later, Tom. This is <laughs> this is my time. This is my time. Uh, <laughs> I I uh, actually have to say that I have to confess that I saw my first musical for the first time two weekends ago.
4: Whoa.
5: Yeah, and so it wasn't even in Chicago where Hamilton is currently playing right now. Uh-huh. Sorry. So. Yeah, I uh, I told my friend. I said, "Yes, I am officially gay now." <laughs> yes. You uh, you you have arrived. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I can uh, I can finally uh, get that that coveted gay card. You know, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. the one that everyone wants. Yes,
1: <laughs> the one that <laughs> yes.
5: gets
2: you Super discounts coveted. on your mimosas. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. What musical was
5: it? Newsies. Newsies. Ooh, that's an excellent one. It was really good. I was uh, jamming to it afterwards.
4: Yes,
1: good. <laughs> well, very good. Does there, Does everyone feel like they sufficiently know Taylor now after the I last? Feel satisfied. You feel satisfied. Yeah, yeah. We could probably talk all day about just random things. That would be a great show too. But while we have you, we definitely want to pick your brain and just like dig a little deeper because on our last episode, we started talking about emotional attachment and shared some stories about some people that we've attached to in healthy ways and others that we've attached to in not-so-healthy ways. And we have plenty of life experience to draw from with the uh, the three of us, and now undoubtedly the fourth person joining this show right now. Um, so before we start out, though, so we're talking about attachment theory and attachment styles. That's kind of the direction we're going. We're taking it a little more psychological, academic. Um, still going to be sharing stories throughout this episode, no doubt, but wanted to give it more of a framework, I guess, as we continue diving into this. So, Taylor, do you just want to like open up and just kind of start defining some terms for us and just kind of get us going on this, on this wonderful adventure?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, So uh, attachment theory is a a big major theory uh, within psychological research. Uh, And it really is this idea that the early relationships that you have in your family unit, um, the child with the mother uh, and how intimate and connected the two are really then later affects how, the child grows up and interacts with other um, human beings and other relationships. And so if they had a good, um, soothing caregiver, they largely see themselves as valuable, as as wanted, as desired, uh, and as, as being able to love other people in, in the same capacity. Uh, and so a, a good caregiver and a good um, connection with that caregiver can lead to healthy adult relationships as those patterns continue into adulthood. Um, of course, the other side of that is that when the caregiver isn't um, connecting to the child, isn't there and present with the child, uh, it does lead into negative patterns and, and it has negative effects on adult relationships. The uh, two uh, major thinkers within attachment theory, historically, the the father and the mother of attachment theory would be John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. Uh, and John Bowlby had observed uh, children that had been in British hospitals that had been taken away from their family, that had um, some sort of illness that were they were recovering from this illness. And he noticed that they had these certain responses to being removed from their families. And so it got him into thinking a little bit more about the role of attachment in, in health and vitality. Uh, Mary Ainsworth, she uh, lived outside of the United States and and observed different cultures and different ways of of seeing how mothers interacted with their children and and sort of began this hypothesis of uh, what what does it mean to have this this good attachment and and what do these attachment effects look like? So the big famous study, and and several people outside of the psychological disciplines have heard of this study, Uh, it's called A Strange Situation. Uh, And it's a little complicated, but I'll just distill it really quickly. Um, Mary Ainsworth did it, and she invited these mothers with children that were about two years of age to come and participate in this study. And so she asked these, these women to come with their children into this room. The child would start playing with some toys. Then a stranger would walk in and sit with the mother there in the room. The mother would leave, and they would observe the reactions of the child. And then the mother would come back in and they would uh, would observe the actions of the child. And so the focus was, what happens when you're in an unfamiliar environment, when stress Mm. is a little bit high, and, and how would you respond to the stress? And then also, what happens when the caregiver comes back? So she started to observe these reactions of these children, and she noticed that she could divide them up into three major camps. So the first camp of these, these kids, she saw that when the mother left, the kids would start crying and crying, looking for their attachment caregiver. The mother would come back in, they would run to the mother, be comforted by the mother and then go back to playing. So she identified these kids as being a secure attachment style. So it's, it's normal to experience anxiety when your caregiver has gone. And then once the caregiver came back, they saw the caregiver as somebody that they could flee to for comfort and security and safety. The second group, she noticed, was this group of kids who, when the parent would leave, the kid would just continue playing. And it's almost as if the mother had never really left. Uh, The kid would keep going on and on and not really paying any attention. The mother would come back in, and the kid would really not respond at all to the mother he or she just didn't seem to even notice that the mother had disappeared. And so she identified this group as the avoidant group. Uh, a common misconception is one might think, wow, like this actually seems like a really good thing like these kids aren't responding their 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 stress isn't high. they seem to be managing this really well. Uh, but the problem that Ainsworth later found out was that when, They took the children's blood pressure when they hooked them up to these biometrics and later studies. They found that the kids were experiencing just as much stress and anxiety as as the first camp was, but they were unable to communicate that. They were unable to seek comfort in that. And they were really unable to recognize that within themselves. The third camp is the ambivalent uh, preoccupied camp. And so this camp of kids, They were even louder in their cries and then their stress response and their anxiety and anger and frustration when the mother left. And then when the mother would come back in, they would often run to the mother and would refuse to be comforted by the mom. Uh, They would sometimes beat the mother. They would punish the mother. And it was this, uh, you know, the sort of, you know, you left me and you're not a safe person for me and now I'm punishing you for leaving me. Mm -hmm. Um, The fourth camp, uh, which Ainsworth did not identify, there were a few that she sort of left as stragglers. Uh, Mary Main, another uh, theorist, came in after her and identified this as the disorganized camp. Uh, So these kids were primarily victims of trauma. And so they had a wide variety of responses. Um, Sometimes they would um, start walking towards the mother after the stress response and then just stop, or sometimes they would wet themselves or sometimes they would just stare vacantly and they, and they just didn't know what to do. Um, it's typically the result of when the, when the mother is seen as something that the the child wants someone who the child wants to go to, but is really unable to feel comforted by this person who is, who's abusing them, who is hurting them. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Main is the one who actually took these into adulthood, and so she developed the adult attachment style, the adult attachment inventory. Um, And so these sorts of early patterns uh, develop themselves into adult adult attachment issues. And so the avoidant person as the adult is somebody who uh, will experience high amounts of anxiety, but won't be able to communicate that, won't be able to handle that well, needs to block it all out, needs to to, to deactivate, uh, to, to, to pull away from themselves and pull away from this, the things that are causing them stress. The ambivalent person, the ambivalent attachment style, is one where there is a hyperactivation of the attachment system. And so this this uh, adult will uh, immediately seek proximity to somebody that can comfort them and will be overly preoccupied with what that person is thinking and doing and where they are. And so uh, you'll you'll hear things like, "Um, I just think about them all the time, and I'm just really scared all the time, and and I wonder what they're doing. And I have these sort of elaborate fantasies in my mind of they're hanging out with so-and-so and not hanging out with me, and they're laughing at me, or those sorts of things. It's this constant seeking out and thinking about one's um, attachment, the one, the person that one has attached to. Um, so mm-hmm. that I think would be a good sort of preliminary uh, understanding. Uh, I'll uh, pause here and, and see if you guys uh, want to add anything or right. question.
1: Pencils down. Now we're going to have a pop quiz on everything. Yeah, no, that was amazing. And uh, it was great because I just recently read, reread through your, uh, your post on spiritual friendship and we'll post a link to those for our listeners to check out. Um, but there's a, nis- a nifty little chart like anxiety and avoidance and arrows and things. And it's just, it helps to like get a visual, if you're a visual learner, to like kind of be able to see like all these quadrants and all these things that are, are different, uh, unique to different upbringings and different styles. Something that, and you guys can chime in too, I don't want to be the person like leading this conversation, but something that I immediately want to jump into is this concept of our relationships in childhood affecting friendships today. Cause to me, that's so wild to think that my relationship with my mom and my dad when I was six years old has any correlation with my friendship today with a 35-year-old man. Like, that to me, at first, that sounds ridiculous, but I'm curious to, like, dive into that a little bit. I'm curious if you guys, Jacob and Ryan, what are your, like, what are your thoughts on that, <laughs> on, on your childhood bonds with your parents or your caregivers relating to friendships today?
2: That was going to be my question, too, is how does, like, how does the childhood experience kind of translate to adult life? Because, I, when you describe those different attachment styles, I can identify like certain people that I've attached to in a very ambivalent way. Um, but, and those are sort of like some very powerful experiences, but then for, I think most, I think for a lot of other relationships, I'm, I can see some of those more avoidant patterns where I need to withdraw more than the other person is expecting necessarily. So I guess, so I guess my question is, like, does the theory say, oh, my, I had this one relationship with my caregiver, my mother, and so therefore I have, like, I'm supposed to have just one sort of predominant attachment style as an adult, or is it just not that simple?
5: <laughs> uh, I, I think that I would say it's not that simple, but I can see what you, uh, I see what you're getting at. Um so ambivalent people, you would um, assume that ambivalent folks, uh, and I, I'm using that as a sort of shorthand. These are not categories of people, obviously. These are uh, patterns that we find ourselves sometimes caught. Sure. So um, it's
2: not like a personality theory. It's not like the Enneagram, where like, oh, I'm a nine and I'm yes. ambivalent attachment style. Yes, this is yeah. more like a, a lens through which to look at our patterns.
5: Yes. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Um, so a uh, a uh, person who has an ambivalent attachment style, y- you would assume that they would attach to somebody that has an ambivalent attachment style. So, you know, great, you love high intensity, you love um, all of this excess, you know, uh, surely you're going to be attached to somebody who shares that same propensity. Um, but actually, when we are around, when if I am an, uh, an ambivalent person, and I'm around somebody who uh, who also is an ambivalent person, uh, they sort of hold in a sense a mirror up to uh, my own kind of personality and my own self, uh, and often make me really uncomfortable with their excess. And so i I see a lot of the excess that they have, a lot of the excitement they have, a lot of the desires that they have, uh, and and might start to pull away as a, as an attempt to balance that out. Um, so we tend to to balance the energy of another person out if they're if they're showing us a lot of extra, our intensity will back down a little bit um, and so that's not to say that necessarily um, that sort of response there might be then an avoidant attachment style um, but rather it's in these specific contexts I might um, pull back or or shift the power dynamics in the relationship a bit so that I'm not uh, so I'm sort of balancing out this other person's intensity okay
2: okay
3: that is super interesting because like you just put into words something that I've experienced all of my life and have never like been able to actually articulate it in such a beautiful way. And so it's like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I live it's Taylor's and an expert. Wow. Taylor's, Taylor's a listener. He, yeah. he
1: has he has earned all three of those masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um yeah like I was curious Ryan you touched on it like I I've definitely experienced ambivalent that those ambivalent traits with people and then also the avoidant traits with people and I was curious like am I like am I normal is essentially the the crux of what I'm trying to ask but like do people generally like exhibit one over the other or they borrow like like a, a smorgasbord do they just like borrow like bits and pieces of all the different styles of attachment depending on the person because because for me just like to to start adding some context to it. For me, I definitely notice ambivalent um, attachment styles with straight men in my life and more avoidant patterns with gay or SSA-identifying men in my life for various reasons. We can dive into that. But but that's what I've noticed as I've been, like, reading your stuff and listening even now. I notice that so clearly in those two particular uh, camps of people. So what do you think that's about? (laughs)
5: uh well there there are some theories uh within attachment theory that say that uh, we might have one for more intimate relationships uh or or one with maybe one more in our family uh and then one in our general relationships or our general kind of intimate relationships outside of the family um so there are some ideas that we might be we might be embodying different attachment styles in in those respects um I think there is something to say. Uh, I, there, there might be something to say about, uh, you know, some of one of the dynamics that you brought up is, is something that I have heard from people before. It's it's the the unavailability of the person um, often kind of stokes within us um, more of a of a desire for their attention, uh, mm-hmm. and so it, it makes sense that. Um, if this person is sort of deemed unavailable, or they pull away from you in, in some unconscious ways, uh, as as straight men, you know, might be prone to do with gay men, there is this. Um, there might be this desire to hyperactivate the attachment system because it feels like the other person is pulling back and pulling away, uh, and so there might be some of those ambivalent responses towards that um whereas with with folks who might be um, moving closer to you and 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 um, d- more kind of um, interested in you and and more um, desires of a, of a friendship with you, um, you might feel more like this kind of, okay, now I need to to, you know, pull away and withdraw. And, and, you know, you mentioned that you were an Enneagram four. And so there's a dynamic of withdrawing a little bit and having that kind of space and and separation in a relationship to just to make sure that, you know, you can still be a full uh, person and still be a self that has your own, uh, that understands who you are and has your own feelings and thoughts and needs and things like that um, outside of this kind of coupling that might happen.
4: Uh
2: I'm like squirming in my seat right now because uh like what you said about unavailability, um like unavailability, like kind of like stoking those like longings for closeness and the those ambivalent patterns um like I found myself complaining a lot recently about why do all the people that I wanna be closest to like why are they always so unavailable, and like maybe it's a correlation causation thing where. Um, where like, those are, those are just the people that kind of, um, draw out that kind of, uh, att- attachment drive
5: for me. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, that tends to be a, a component in, in a lot of people's lives. Um, I def, I, you know, just to potentially sort of reframe a bit, uh, you know, sometimes I, I think that there is a, a healthy level of. Um, you know, you know, sometimes we, we make it seem like, okay, I need to either, uh, you know, settle for this, you know, these Mm -hmm. group of people, um, who might be unhealthy or who might uh, want things from me that I, I can't give them. Um, or I need to constantly like reach for the stars, uh, and then just constantly be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there is a, there is sort of a a mystery there and and a place for tension and, and a place to say, um, you know, some of the deepest relationships that we can have with folks, uh, there is a, a separateness that it has to be there. Uh, and there still is this kind of longing for more and that it's actually okay to long for more and it's okay mm-hmm. for for more intimacy and, and more connection. Mm.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, one thing that I think that, I think that you mentioned this during your talk at Revoice last year, is that one of the tendencies when we're talking about different attachment styles is that we we hear these things and some of the first things that that we think of like oh like like so and so really needs to to listen to this or, or to read this because like oh yeah like this is this is them and if 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 like they just understood what their problem was <laughs> then like they could fix it and then everything would 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 be great and i'm i get the idea that that's not helpful <laughs> and that I think <laughs> that like when it, it seems like when it comes to understanding um, that it's, it's much more important for us to understand ourselves and how we operate in, in these things and work out from there. Um, but my question for you is as, as a person who is, who has thought more about these, these things than probably anyone else in your whole, in your whole world, it, maybe not, do you find it in just like your like everyday interactions and people that 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 you love and want to be close to, is it difficult to not like be always wanting to teach people of like, hey, like this is what you're doing, and can we like like you just you like need to know what you're doing so that we can fix things? Is that something that ever like that you find challenging
1: in your life? That's what I feel, by the way. Every time I encounter somebody who doesn't know the enneagram, like I was just, if they just knew <laughs> why <laughs> they are the way that they yeah. are, it would make our relationship so much better. Yes,
5: yes, uh, yeah. I think I, I think that's a good question. I, I think there's a, a level of that that is um, to say, you, you know, I I feel like I have grown so much. Um, I have developed so much. I I have uh, lowered. Uh, my anxiety. I've been able to understand uh, my attachment style or my Enneagram type for my Myers-Briggs and and it's helped me in my life. Uh, you know, I want, I want you to experience the same joy. I want you to experience the same growth that I do. Uh, and so I think part of that desire is this very kind of good, like, yeah, you know, I, I really want to, to help the people in my life to, to flourish and to grow. Um, there is another element of that that could be, um, instead of solving my own anxiety or instead of working through my own anxiety or angst about a situation, I uh, would put that on to the other person mm-hmm. and I would make them responsible for that. And if they could just fix their behavior, then I wouldn't be so upset.
4: Sure.
5: Um, and so I think that that part of it might be a little problematic, um, <laughs> especially because you can't force another person to change their behavior, you know, what? to <laughs> To love you or to you know those sorts of things um, i um I definitely feel that tension, uh, and that's definitely something that I work through all the time and and something that I process through all the time and and something that I think, um Taylor, are you um, dominating this situation? are you controlling this person? are you uh, making assumptions about what's what's best for them. Um, are you allowing them to just be and allowing them to to feel to feel safe and to s- feel seen? Um, but a lot of times in 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 sort of attachment in the attachment world, um, it's far easier for me to be able to interact with the other person or with the attachment style that I might be picking up on with them. Um, and so, you know, for somebody who is ex- who potentially has an ambivalent attachment style and is expressing a lot of anxiety and is, you know, is very upset, um, uh, potentially with me or, or directing that energy at me. Um, and a, um, I, I really want to know what you're doing and where you're going and, and everything that's going on with you. Um, the, the, and this is sort of a little bit of what I talked about in my talk on boundaries. Is, is that I'm I'm not going to say to them, "Wow, you know, you're just like way too much, and you need to, you know, you need to understand that this is the, the kind of system that you belong in, and that you need to get yourself help, you know, things like that." Uh, which I didn't hear you as like you know implying or saying, but um, I'm just sort <laughs> of being dramatic for sure, sure. for dramatic sake. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that because um, part of working through my own healing is to be able to look at a person like that and say, you know, I don't like this behavior. It, it hurts my feelings. It, it, you know, makes me feel kind of suffocated. Um, you know, it, it is a little bit much, but the reason why this person is doing that is because they're scared that I'm going to abandon them. You know, they're scared that I'm leaving them, that I don't care about them, that I don't love them. And so how can I um demonstrate for them that I see them and that I recognize them while also maintaining some boundaries, right? And so to say, um, you know, you know, Joe, um, you know, I I understand that you're really upset right now, or I understand that um things are really, really hard for you right now. I understand that you're scared. Um but it's not okay to text me at, you know, three o'clock in the morning or um, or you know something you know, I got into a conflict with someone the other day, and and it was um, just a, a, an ability to say, hey, hey, like let, let's talk about it at this time. Let, let's talk about it a little bit later. We can both calm down, uh, cool off, think about it a little bit, and then process it again uh, in a few days. Um, and then that, that lets them kind of ease through their anxiety because they can say, okay, I can point to a time that we're going to talk about it. And, and then it helps me because I can have some space, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, yeah. uh, maybe that's my long, rambly answer to no, no, no. That question.
1: I've learned over the years that maybe this is just for me, or maybe this is for everyone. I don't know. But working through conflict, texting for me used to be so convenient. Like, oh, I, I hate talking on the phone. So, I'm just going to text everything that I feel about this person right now. And it doesn't translate well generally. I mean, maybe that's just maybe I'm just flawed and I can't text through conflicts properly. But I've learned over the years to, yeah, working through conflict with people. Um, however I'm attaching or not attaching to them in the right or not right ways is to and depending on the person too I've also learned to you know does this person does a phone call work Um, is it worth meeting them in person face to face if that's possible Um, some people like to be prepped that like a a heavy conversation is coming other people prefer to just like on the spot like let's just oh there's something to talk about let's talk about it and I've kind of learned to like not throw in needless anxiety into the relationship if I can possibly avoid it so That's, that's important. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And, and it also should be recognized that, or I should, I should make it more explicit that, um, a lot of these things get amped up and so people rarely go zero to 60, Um, it's, it's, they try to connect and then they get rebuffed and they try to connect again and they get rebuffed. And so the, the kind of hyperactivation, the, um, large amounts of, of emotion from, uh, the ambivalent person is because they have tried and they have tried and they have tried to connect with you over and over and over again and are not feeling heard. They're not feeling seen. And so they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then unfortunately what often happens is when people around us get bigger, we get smaller and, and we, we then start to fear their reaction. We get really upset. Uh, why are they so angry? Why are they so, um, emotional right now? Um, and we want to shut it down rather than name it. Uh, and so of course, you know, when, you know, I, I don't know where you guys fall in terms of these scales of attachment styles, um, but if any of you have had the experience of just feeling like you're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, when somebody when it looks like somebody is like scared of us or they're scared of our response or they're getting smaller or they want to kind of offer us easy answers, it actually stresses us out more, which only makes us get even bigger. And so mm. when, when people are giving us those sorts of responses, it's it's easier for us to say, um it's, it 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 might be easier for us to want to pull away from them but by kind of matching their energy being able to see them and empathize with them even if you don't want to really does help them to process through the kind of emotional state that they're in and better love and care for you
4: mm-hmm. yeah that's wow. good where
2: has this
3: been all of my
2: life <laughs> So I have a quick question. Um, If I recall correctly, uh, is there a study indicating that these anxious attachment styles like ambivalent and avoidant have a higher rate of incident with non-straight people?
5: Um, Yes. And specifically, the one that I mentioned in my talk was, um, I think her first name is Christine. I can't remember her last name. It's, It's actually on the Uh, spiritual friendship article that i wrote um but her her research was specifically about our community this id community and uh, she found that there were far more people that were ambivalent and um the that fourth category of disorganized okay uh, in our community
1: that's super interesting yeah why is that (laughs) do you have any theories (laughs) or do you have any like yeah anything that our listeners could be like "Mm, yes that's me
5: I think some of it has to do with um, people in our community grow up with with a lot of rejection and a lot of hurt mm-hmm. and a lot of pain and and uh, our natural bids for a connection uh, are often seen as as either sort of perversely sexual or uh, inappropriate or just not just not the way that friends should be or or things like that and so it, it's it's understandable why we would then. Uh, be very afraid and very scared of connecting and then why our uh, attachment system might amp up and why we might be overly preoccupied with our relationships, overly intense in our relationships because we're constantly looking for that, um, you know, ideal that we, we think is out there, uh, that we, we believe that everybody else has, um, that we can't ever put our hands on.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Um, that the communities we grew up in kind of prime us for that ambivalent style. And, and I think even like, I can see the problem being worse in churches or Christian communities, but I could see that also being just a a problem that the broader community has as well. Yeah. 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 I was
1: noticing this, um, that study that you referenced and another chart, I love charts and numbers and graphs and all those things. And so, yeah, I noticed there was like, essentially 75% are in this like anxious insecure attachment styles with a whopping 48% in the preoccupied. Is that the ambivalent one? Is that what that one is? Okay. Gotcha. That's interesting to me. So like basically, yeah, half of, half of our community fall into that camp.
5: Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So that's a huge, that's a huge number.
5: Yeah. I didn't mention this before, by the way, and this is sort of a fun fact for you, but, uh, there, there's uh, an identity. Uh, there's a label that's given for each attachment style that is both an emotional label, and then there's one that's a cognitive label. So there is okay. the preoccupied, which is primarily cognitive, and then the ambivalent, which is feelings. Gotcha. Uh, then there's the avoidant and dismissive. So uh, from where you go, okay. Uh, okay. So, that's helpful.
2: so so far we've talked about some um, some healthy responses to these attachment styles, like working through those conflicts you mentioned or setting good boundaries. Um, and those are really helpful, but is there a sense of being able to grow in your kind of default attachment style, like being able to become a healthier baseline person so that you don't have to necessarily go through this whole process every time you become attached to someone?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is uh, some of the d- the debates about attachment theory and and can you uh, work through your attachment style? Uh, some of our community have uh, misunderstood, I think, some of the literature about this. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I've heard people say that the the, the argument is between, um, you know, can you change or can you not change? Um, but everybody believes that you can change. <laughs> everybody believes that there is is some sense of security that you can get to. The question is... Um, do you fully get rid of your attachment style um, and then fully assume a, uh, a secure attachment style? Or do you maintain some of those uh, sort of remnants of your early childhood attachment style? Um, and so what this might look like on the practical level is uh, you might still find yourself getting really anxious uh, when your uh, attachment figure isn't around, um, but you're not uh, engaging in that um, that you know punishing behavior or deactivating behavior that might be um present with either of those two attachment styles. Um I think actually Ryan you brought this question up um at, the, at my talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh and and so it's called uh, the the earned secure attachment. And so you can earn secure attachment. Um uh, a nice image that um, is in attachment literature. I think um, David Wallen uh, talks about this. He's a psychologist, uh, and he draws this sort of image of uh, a little girl, and she every time she comes home from school, she runs through this field to get home, uh, and there is this uh, tree in the middle of this field, And as she's running by, she smells this really sweet smell coming from the tree. So she runs over to the tree. She reaches her hand inside this opening in the tree, uh, and she gets bitten uh, by this animal. So she recoils her hand and is crying and goes home and is comforted. Uh, And the next day... She was running to that same field. She smells that sweet smell from the tree and goes over, reaches her hand inside, and then she gets stung by a bee or something. Uh, Really upset again, leaves, and then again, each time she does that, she keeps getting injured. Uh, So let's say this happens, maybe, uh, you know, this girl is just, uh, you know, the representation of that Einstein quote. And so she just keeps doing it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, let's say that it happens like 50 times, right? So she might at this point say all trees are bad. Uh, All trees are deceptive. They have this sweet smell that's coming from it. And I know that i'm always going to get hurt Uh, i know that they they'll draw me in but eventually something bad is going to happen but let's say that the 51st time she is running through this field and she sees this tree and she smells this smell again and uh everything within her says don't go to the tree don't go to the tree but she decides that she's going to be brave and courageous uh, or foolish you know uh and uh you know, try again, one last time. And so she reaches her hand inside and she pulls out this honeycomb. And then she eats this honeycomb and enjoys this honeycomb. And there's something then really great about this tree. It has finally given her this sort of blessing, right? Mm -hmm. And so from then on, this this little girl is really unable to say that all trees are bad. Um, She still is going to carry with her the wounds of the 50 trees that she interacted with before. Um, But because of this one experience of healing, uh, her life is forever changed. Um, and this is actually, if I could just speak sort of on a more personal level for a moment, this is actually one of the things that I think is really beautiful about um, this sort of relational therapy uh, and, and how this this functions in light of, of Christianity, um, and especially with, within attachment theory, is uh, attachment theorists will say that secure people tend to attach to secure people, Insecure people tend to attach to insecure people and insecure people will make the other insecure person worse. And so the the anxiety tends to be exacerbated within that relationship. Secure people and secure people will make each other better. But when an insecure person attaches to a secure person, they only get better. And so there's always something just positive that happens There's there's always something, some place for you to grow into, and so even just one healing experience where you feel yourself seen and safe and soothed and secure, uh, where you know instead of the typical you're overreacting or you're you're always shutting down, you're a robot or uh, you know I. I just feel like you're always you're always uh, too much and 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 too too concerned with what I'm doing, uh, but rather this kind of turning towards and this opening oneself up. Uh, just one experience like that actually radically changes how we think about ourselves and we think about the other person and helps put us on this path towards our secure attachment.
1: Yeah, I mean that description right there totally reminds me of a story I shared on our last podcast with the the first straight man that I ever came out to, befriended, started being vulnerable with, because up until that point, I was 23 at the time, and for essentially 23 years, straight men for me were just kind of the unknowable, the unapproachable, and I just kept my distance from them because any interaction with them was either, you know, it was basically bullying or nothing, and so I'd rather have nothing. And I was able to finally... You know at that at that juncture certainly feel like i was a, an insecure and unhealthy person latching on to somebody who i perceived as strong and secure and and for at least for a summer i mean there was challenges that summer of working with him but i felt myself becoming a healthier person and so then the challenge for me was then the ongoing nature of a friendship beyond uh, a summer job that we were constricted at and so then you know how often do i text do i text too much do i not text enough and then there's like all these second guessing of like, how do I maintain the the relationship, which ultimately that friendship didn't pan out, but I'm grateful for it because it gave me, yeah, it gave me a sense that like, not all trees are bad. I love that image that like, you know, I could have just assumed all straight men suck and maybe a lot of them do, but there's also some really great <laughs> ones and, and I've established some better ones in I would say the last two years, especially that's been, that's been a huge part of my story is like learning that not all straight men are awful and, um and that also I can grow as well and that I can become a healthy, secure person um, and hopefully contribute something to the relationship too. But like I really – go ahead,
2: Ryan. Well, were you going to continue with your story? Or... <laughs> I was just going
1: to actually quote Taylor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Were you
2: finished yet? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I just wanted to tie a bow on it. Yeah, well, I really – yeah, so like while, while I'm talking about this particular straight friend, um, I really love this part of your – one of your blog posts from Spiritual Friendship because it, it talked about straight men and kind of the – A dynamic at play between their side of things and and then gay celibate SSA people on the other side of things. Um, Talking about men, you said, men are socially expected to give up their friendships for the sake of their romantic relationships because masculinity is strongly connected with sexual behavior. The tragedy then is that where straight men may feel the same attachment anxiety for their male best friends that their gay peers feel, they can disavow their anxiety in favor of pursuing their romantic relationship. Celibate gay men cannot. And I've felt that <laughs> so hard in my life as I'm sure many of our listeners can as well that it almost feels like they have extra outlets to pour and energies to pour into but because because we have you know these convictions and because we are who we are it's kind of we feel limited in that in that capacity
2: yeah when you said uh when you use the term uh, earned secure attachment I thought immediately about my my relationship with my friend Micah who also I talked about in the last episode where um that relationship started out as kind of like me in this ambivalent attachment place with just a lot of anxiety. And this is kind of my pattern with a lot of my super close guy friends is that the relationship for a long time has this period of like, yeah, anxiety and fear. And like, I feel like I'm just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like not sure where this is going. Like, how can I make sure this goes where I want it to go? Um, How do I not lose this person? But over, over the years, like I've grown out of that with Micah and, and that's why I, I especially love the word earned in front of that because it does feel very earned. Um, and, and I'm, I think you're right that as, as I worked through that and, and I think he does have a very, uh, healthy attachment style, a very secure attachment style, um, And and I have seen how that's kind of like, um, provided me with some growth in my other relationships where I think I am not kind of, I'm starting from a better place for, for other relationships now that, now that I've gone through that process with Micah. So I think that, that image of, um, uh, secure, secure people and insecure people, um, kind of making each other better. Like I've, I feel like that's been true at least there. And um Yeah, and and so I'm really thankful for that.
3: In I think it was in your third in the third part of your post um you touched on how oftentimes people in our community when we when we get to the point that we could use the phrase where it feels like we are falling in, in love with a person that those kind of feelings end up like they like taint, they, they ruin that, um, that friendship. And I think that's like, that's something that I I know in my own life in like, um, I will hear from people like other friends that, um, almost the, the advice that i will get is that like once once you start to have those c- kind of feelings that means that you need to just to cut it off completely like it's just like it's 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 almost like you you talked about this this fear of kind of like reaching that point of no return that you've like gotten there and now like everything's like everything's ruined that there isn't any any hope of um coming back from that and you 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 gave the kind of the case study of a gay man and a straight man and i would be curious to hear um more of your thoughts of like what kind of like words would you uh speak into the case study of two gay men two side b gay men who fall in love with one another
5: yeah i i think I think um, there are some similarities, of course, um, and so uh, one of the things that I, I, I talked about in in that um, trio of articles, and you you all are so kind to have read that. It was looking back, it's so verbose, and uh,
3: <laughs> there was yeah, just like one 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 quick thought. There was a part during part one that I was reading it, and you were using words and sentences that just like. <laughs> way over my head to where i I thought like i i'm not worthy to talk to this man like i am we're on different planes of existence like this is i'm not gonna like i'm gonna sound so so dumb because he's way up here in the heavens and i'm down like a worm okay sorry (laughs) please go on (laughs) thank you worm yep (laughs)
5: <laughs> I think it was a little bit of my own anxiety at, I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, <laughs> you did. <laughs> so maybe uh, maybe looking back, I could have uh, edited a little bit. But just...
1: No, I will say the further you go, it's like super e- Like I, yeah, I applied so much to my life. I, was, I was reading your descriptions of these styles, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can think of seven friends right now that I've attached to in this way, and I can think of other people who've attached to me in this way, and it was just like... I don't know. I, I I found it easy to connect
5: with. Awesome, awesome, good. Um, so uh, the the question of of you know what is the difference between you know what what falling in love might look like when it's when it's one party um, sort of that has fallen in love with this other person that has not uh, reciprocated in some capacity. So the the gay man and the straight man, um, and then versus two gay men. Um, so, so something that I did mention in my article, uh, is, is I think a lot of times we confuse falling in love for, I uh, have a lot of attachment anxiety towards this person. And so I, I think mm-hmm. that that's, I think it's good, not only in the sense to say, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 had a counselor who helped who actually introduced me to, to attachment theory, uh, and helped me process through a lot of stuff. And and he always used to say, uh, Taylor, you're, you're not as, as, as amazing and wonderful as you think that you are, um, mm-hmm. but you're not as terrible as you think that you are either. And so, you know, you're somewhere in between. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what he was doing was he was trying to say, you know, we, we shouldn't have these sort of lofty ideals that the love that we have. Um, so, you know, like, um, when I saw that person at revoice and, um, uh, he looked at me and said, did you drop this on the floor? I knew immediately that we were going to be in a committed celibate partnership forever. <laughs> Move to Vermont, started a B and you know. <laughs> you know, the gay dream, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's sort of a little bit of a sense to say, you know, maybe you don't love this person as much as you think that you do, um, but there also is this component of it to say, um, but you but you do have real feelings for this person. There is, there is something that's there. There is, um, some sort of foundation of a relationship and, and just how do you work through the anxiety of it? And so Mm. in a, in, in the sort of gay straight model, um, that would be, um, working through this sort of emotional capacity of it. And, and you might be, You know, you you would have to deal with some sexual elements of it if you if you did find yourself sexually attracted to the person, uh, and to sort of say, you know, what do I do if I am having some sort of physiological response when they do show me intimacy, Um, when when I when I am sort of uh, getting that that chaste platonic intimacy. Um, but, um, you know, for some reason I'm still having this sort of physiological or sexual response. So you'd, you'd have to process through that on that level. Uh, and I think the added components to this sort of gay male and gay male model is if you both feel that way about another or each other, um, there is more of a tendency for, um, emotions to, um, just kind of become far more heightened, um, and so you'd have to be, I think, more aware of um, some of those dynamics about um, the kind of heightened intensity of relationships uh, and how you're, you're working towards um, having that sense of security and safety and comfort in the relationship. Um, I think, I think one, of the, one of the major differences in relationships with gay men versus relationships with straight men is with gay men, there is a, a more of an openness um, to intimacy. Um, and so um, they, they're they far more comfortable with expressing loving feelings of affection towards you. They're far more comfortable with physical affection. Um, and so it just might lead to um, uh, kind of a heightened emotional intensity to where um you know I've, I've often you know when you talk about when you talk publicly about boundaries for two years in a row people come to you and they tell you their mm-hmm. stories and, and sure. you help them process through it as best you can um and so uh you know I, I have heard a lot of stories within our community of um folks who have these kind of like big firework-like relationships that fizzle in and, and, and blow up after maybe like a month or two right because they're so intense that they just can't handle it. So um, my recommendation with all sorts of relationships, especially covenantal relationships, um, is that it's always a good idea to back into them. Um, And so um, pay attention to uh, your own sort of intensity, your own desires, uh, and and be really gentle and slow with yourself to say, uh, you know, I like this person and that's okay. And I can receive that and hold that openly. Um, but also at the same time, um, we have only known each other for you know this period of time, or um, at the same time, uh, there are aspects about their life that I don't have access to, you know, et cetera. Is that somewhat get at your uh, yeah. question? <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. I, I would think that so having having given talks about boundaries, I would think that lots of people are just wanting you to tell them like here's a list of things that you should like that you should be able to do that are good things, and here's a l- list of things that you shouldn't do, and just make it like super super clear. But obviously, it's much more complicated than just like here are all the like dos and don'ts of now. If if you just do these, then you'll be great.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you uh, know <laughs> I did preface uh, my talk both times and say like this isn't going to be a talk about sexual boundaries in the sense that I tell you, like, this is how far you go. Right.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
5: Yeah. I think I, uh, you know, I I would say like one of the particular issues with our community is that our our churches don't, not only do they, they not help us, but they don't even know how to Right? Is you know, part of the kind of, um, the new terrain that we're all trying to work through is, is we're figuring this out along the way as well. Like yeah. we, we don't think these old models of, of how to approach relationships work. We recognize that there are uh, major pitfalls and we don't want to fall into them, but we are sort of, you know, sort of taking a machete through this, this uh, um, jungle trying to kind of carve our own path. Uh, it's sort of a very like you know manly masculine. Oh image. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so I, I think I, I think that you know a lot of us want you know want the people in our lives to just kind of tell us what to do, but a lot of it is just and and I think people get really uncomfortable with this dynamic, but a lot of it is really trusting your own discernment and and to to say. Um, I I can discern well and I am going to invite other people to help me discern well. And this is how I'm going to, to process this and figure it out.
2: Mm. I have a question that kind of comes from the other direction, you know? So when, when I was first learning about attachment theory and thinking through all this and applying it to past situations in my life, I'd be like, Oh, Jordan was avoidant and John was avoidant. And this person is avoidant. This person is avoidant. And then <laughs> like, and that was, uh, vindicating you know but then the more i thought about it the more i was like what if they just weren't attached to me (laughs) like what if what if like what if uh i don't know what if, what if because i think in my kind of ambivalent state uh or just my in in the midst of my anxiety or want what i how much i wanted from the relationship i sort of uh, overestimated how invested they were in the relationship and so i guess my question is like how how can we kind of identify the difference in another person of like oh they they're invested in the relationship they're just displaying this avoidant attachment style versus like yeah you need to kind of you know chill out on the level of they're not super interested in that kind of friendship with you
5: yeah like that he's just not that into you you. right yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs)
2: yes i was thinking that too (laughs)
5: um Hmm. I I mean, that is a really good question, because I I think that sort of touches on a little bit of our uh, core fears, right, is is that uh, maybe I have invested so much in this relationship with this person and maybe uh, this relationship has wholly been one sided. Mm-hmm. um i don't know you that well ryan but you do not strike me as someone who's incredibly delusional that you <laughs> well we have me. some yep. stories
1: to share. You,
3: <laughs> you just wait Taylor. <laughs> just not at all not at all uh and
5: so i i think there is uh, a component of it that if you um i would say that if you have been feeling a lot of Uh, ambivalence um, in these relationships you've been feeling this sense of attachment to them i I think that that already is indicative that there is an attachment relationship Mm -hmm. okay one of the things that avoidant people tend to do and we don't always notice it when we're in it um is they'll sort of tease you a little bit and they do it unconsciously. And so it's not something that um, they're intentionally thinking like, I'm going to do this, but they'll they'll tease you a little bit to, to sort of get you back interested in them
4: mm-hmm.
5: uh, and expressing a lot of affection towards them so that they, they can then withdraw. And so uh, if they sense that you are distancing yourself from them in some capacity, um, they might respond by just kind of, uh, you know, tiptoeing a little bit closer. You know, doing something that might you know uh, prick your your excitement a little bit, and then withdraw once you've responded accordingly. Um, and so, you know, I've I've seen situations where it's um, a uh, you know, if if you haven't talked to this person in a while, this person won't tell you. Um, hey, you know, Ryan, we haven't chatted in a while. Hey, how you doing? How's it going? Um, but they might send you like a funny meme on a text message. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. And so it's this like small little like, you know, like, okay. hey, <laughs> like,
1: give the dog um, a bone.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And then to which point um, I uh, I don't know if, if you have responded this way, but to which point uh, someone that has an ambivalent attachment style might be like, Oh wow. Like he's like really into me again. And like, Oh, he this reached means, like-
2: out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's pursuing <laughs> yeah. me. <laughs>
5: yeah. And then, and then sort of back in. Right. And yeah. so uh, it's, it's this, this game where um, one person, and this is why, you know, you're so right to say like earning secure attachment is so hard because one person really does have to be the person who holds a ton of tension in the relationship. If you're in a relationship with two insecure folks. Uh-huh. You
2: know? Yeah. That's super helpful. Cause right. Uh, someone who's not that attached to you is not going to like throw out those little, like that bait. Um, uh, and, and so that even, even just hearing that helps me sort of categorize a few past relationships as like one or the other. So that's good. That's good. You made a comment,
3: uh, at the beginning about um, about the desire to have certain norms be changed when it comes to attachment. I would be really curious to hear about, um, I, w- I would say, especially in our community, what are some, some of the, the norms that you would like to see changed or evolved? You were talking about, I think, in like... Uh, I think in like, in how secure attachment looks in like a really healthy way that there are certain norms that exist for like, for men that's, that become a hindrance to us having secure attachment because like, oh, like men don't, like we don't do that.
1: So as you're, as you're pondering Jacob's question, I also wanted to throw in, Um, I don't know if this fits in here, but I wanted to fit it in before we ran out of time. Um, This whole concept of arousal, if we can go there, Um, because you write about this in your post too, about what happens if you experience arousal with your friends. Is that like a no-no? Is that like, oh gosh, got to discard that friendship because I can't be aroused by my male friends. And especially if they're gay or, um, or side B, like I have to not pursue that any further. But I love that like what you write about is that arousal, in many ways, it can be a pointing toward um, this this good, legitimate desire for intimacy. And um, I don't know if that if that factors into what Jacob was saying, if that if that comes up at all. Like, because people talk about like what lines to cross and not cross, and and people talk about cuddling with other men, and people talk about yeah, just physical affection in general, and how much is too much, and that's an ongoing debate that goes until the end of time. Of like, what is what is uh, what is okay within the confines of a platonic friendship um and what yeah what does intimacy look like for two gay or ssa identifying men like what is yeah what is that and so that's something that i think about too i think that you
3: should skip my question entirely and just and just answer that one <laughs> no no. no 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 no, i think that's 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 better because i also wanted to ask that too and so i yeah just skip. Just skip what I was asking earlier. Skip to, skip to the Skipping arousal question. Skip, okay. skip yeah, to the <laughs> super sexy things. The spicy stuff. Spicy
5: stuff. Yeah. Right, there we go. Um, there's a uh, sort of a famous person within the sort of psychodynamic, psychoanalytic world uh, who's a Christian psychologist. Uh, he teaches at um, the Seattle School, I think. His name is Roy Barsnez. And he shares this um, story about, so he's been been counseling for like 30 years. And he shares this story about his one of his first um, sessions that he had with this woman um, right fresh out of school um, and and sort of how he processed through a lot of the sort of erotic elements of, of this, this relationship. Um, so this woman, she was um, sexually abused by her father, her parents divorced, and then her On on her 18th birthday, I think, her father uh, engaged in in a three-way sexual relationship with her and his girlfriend. Um, So this this woman, um, she came across as very uh, put together, very confident, very um, uh, charismatic. Um, She was uh, fairly attractive. Um, but she had all of these broken relationships with men because she uh, would have these really intense sexual relationships with them and wouldn't really know how to to process through uh, a lot of these these dynamics that she was experiencing. And so uh, Roy Barnes is is writing about this, and uh, he is talking about his own feelings in the session, and he starts to notice um, that she is dressing up more when she comes to the sessions and she is being a little bit more uh, provocative with him. Uh, And she starts to be more explicitly sexual with him. Uh, Just talking more explicitly sexual. She describes having these sort of sexual dreams about them. uh, And it's making him really uncomfortable because not only is he, attracted to her and aroused by her but he also (laughs) won't be having sex with his client right Mm -hmm. and this is you know fresh out of out of school you know the the textbooks did not prepare me for this (laughs) Um, and so um but she's getting more and more sexual and then consequently more and more violent and angry with him and you know why won't you you know return these sort of feelings and and he acknowledges that he's sort of um cooling off and and just shutting down. And so he really responded to her really analytically and cold. And she's getting more and more anxious, more and more anxious. And she tells him one day, she says, that if you won't have sex with me, then I'm going to kill myself. And at this point, he's panicking. He doesn't know what to do and what to say. Like, I I have no idea what's going on. Like, how do I navigate this? Um, And he sort of just blurted out, you know, um, I I don't know what to do with this. And she said, she said, you know what? Uh, Oh, God, you're, you you know, you must be asexual or something like that. And he was like, well, as long as you and I are in this room together and have this therapeutic relationship, yes, I am asexual. Uh, And, you know, I might be attracted to you, but we're going to, we're doing this work, right? And so being able to sort of name it and name this, this subtle, Underlying unconscious uh, erotic element between the two of them um, actually allowed him to realize he was pulling away from her when she needed him the most. Mm-hmm. And so she had only ever learned, you know, from these early relationships with her father that in order to get the attention of uh, the men in her life, in order to get affection, she had to be overly sexual. Uh, And that when they wouldn't give it to her, um, she would respond very violently and angrily. And so um, he managed to kind of process through this dynamic with her by being open to her and feeling with her, um, but obviously not having sex with her. Um, And he remarks that um, just naming that was healing. Uh, And he said, you know, several years later, she, you know, um, had... She, he uh, discharged her after about five years. She ended up getting married, having children. And she came back to him like 20 years later. And uh, she was talking about that time. And she said, yeah, I'm so embarrassed. I, 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 I just, I only, the only thing I remember is that I just really, really, really wanted to have sex with you. I really wanted you. And she said, I'm so glad that you didn't because I needed to have somebody, some man in my life that would make this space for me to feel this without um, taking advantage of me. And and he said, he was, but she said, she said, you know, but I, I really wanted to have sex with you. And, and he said, he said, but, but in some sense you didn't. And uh, she pauses and she says, yeah, I guess you're right. I, there was there was a deeper sense that I, I really actually didn't want that from you. I, I just wanted you to sort of make this space for me. And so one of the things that Barsness talks about in this dynamic is can sexuality and eroticism be expressed without being exploited? And so often what happens is when someone expresses sexuality, their sexuality towards us, it's it's typically quickly exploited. Um, and so it's either exploited that, you know, we'll have sex with the person. Uh, it's exploited that they'll be mocked and made fun of it's exploited in in those sorts of capacities. Um, sometimes we even feel within our own self, like if I express my sexuality or when I express my sexuality, it gets exploited. Somebody takes advantage of me. Somebody mocks me, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but what Barzis is talking about is, is can we, can we express this? Can we hold a space for us to talk very openly about this, without um, exploiting one another and, ex- and taking advantage of this? Um, oftentimes, in in our relationships, um, we we feel the most um, desirous of of wanting to have sex. You know, we we feel we feel like we want to. Uh, to, to be in a, a, a sexual relationship with somebody when um, they are distant, sometimes when they're distant and we want to connect with them. Um, sometimes when we're filled with, with um, feelings towards them, we want that. Um, sometimes when we're having a bad day, we want that. Um, and so um, one of the things that we often do is we'll experience this And then immediately we'll follow it up with a, no, no, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't feel that way. And, and, oh my gosh, like, this is so terrible. Why is this happening? And uh, we just shove those feelings down which only makes us amp up even more, uh, only makes us want um, to be sexually active even more, uh, you know, wants to to solve this anxiety that we're experiencing within ourselves. And so um, we end up creating more and more and more tension. Uh, and so sometimes, um, you know, that, that means that you end up do having sex with a person. Sometimes, uh, more often, I think what ends up happening is we, uh, you know, feeling all this tension and all this anxiety. So I'm not going to, you know, express it. I'm not going to talk to my friend about it, but I'm going to go look at porn and jerk off. Right. And so there's this, like, I need to find some way to quickly release this uh, pent up anxiety. Um, But, you know, again, it kind of catches us in this cycle of then when that, those feelings come up again, uh, we have to do something to solve the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, Part of our own kind of healing um, ought to be um, can I, can this be um, other aspects of my, emo- like other aspects of my emotional experience um, and be expressed in relationship? Can I feel comfortable talking to this person about, um, you know, what I'm just kind of feeling, I'm feeling a lot right now, you know, I'm, I'm feeling uh, this kind of intense attraction towards you. I'm, I'm feeling um, this high amount of, of kind of anxiety about this, um, and, and that be okay within the relationship, uh, and not be held by the other person. And the other person can say, um, you know, anything from, uh, you know, thank you so much for telling me, uh, do you want to, do you want to go out for a walk? Do you, do you want to talk? Do you, um, do you need a hug? You know, do, um, you know, I know that you've been having kind of an intense day. Like, do you, do you want to sit down and talk about it? Um, we, especially men tend to do this. Uh, we have this, this mentality and mindset that, um, sex is primary and it's something that I, that I want and I should have this above all other pleasures in life. Right. Um, but one of the fascinating things about studying eroticism and sexuality is, is, almost every thinker that I've encountered who has talked about sex and sexuality has talked about how boring it is.
4: Uh,
5: (laughs) And so to, to some effect, they either say, well, it's really boring or like it's really isolating because it's just physical. Or, um, there's one person who said, you know, the sex act, sex act actually suspends eroticism, right? And so it actually doesn't satisfy what you really want. And so everybody agrees though, it's, it's all the other stuff that goes into it that, um, causes all of the kind of tension in our lives. And, and so one of the things I think we as men, especially, and, and that's not to exclude women. Um, there are, um, women who definitely think of their sexuality as being primal. Um, but, but one of the things that we, as, as men have to, to relearn and to reteach ourselves and to remind ourselves is that, um, sometimes when we're like, man, like the only thing that I want to do is just have sex with somebody. It's actually indicative of a, of a deeper feeling of loneliness and isolation and, and just the need to, to feel like there's somebody out there that loves me for me.
2: Yeah, like what I really want in my closest relationships um, and and with men is like a relationship where uh, where my sexuality can take up space, like where I don't have to kind of like, you know, like suck it all in and, you know, just like not where I can relax and just like kind of like let let the person see that part of me, especially as it pertains to them. And I think uh, as when we talk about physical arousal, like one thing that I've thought about or kind of where I've landed with that is that. You know, our, our body has different physiological responses to different situations and stimuli. And, you know, if you see someone who's crying, you ask, oh, well, why is this person crying? Kind of the the easy answer, the obvious answer is they're sad. But is, is it always that? You know, like you could be crying for joy. You could be crying because you're confused or tired or angry. You know, there's a hundred reasons why you could be crying and you know, there's kind of like the iconic answer, um, or yeah, yeah. There's like the the easy answer, but it's not always that. And similarly with sexual arousal or, or the, the, the physical arousal that we associate with sexual arousal. Like, I think that, yeah, like the easy, simple answer is you want to have sex with that person. But, um, but I think it's more complicated than that. I think that our body can respond to intimacy and this longing for intimacy and affection that is not necessarily sexual or sexually driven um, in in very similar ways. And so that's kind of given me a lot of sort of mental space, some some extra space in my head to think about my relationships and my interactions and my body's responses to different people um, to kind of like have the freedom to say, okay, like yeah, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really want to have sex with them, but my body responds in a certain way and that's okay because that doesn't necessarily mean like I'm, my head's lying or or whatever. Um, like there is that room for, um, I just want to be close to them, you know, or whatever. Yeah.
1: And adding some diversity to this conversation, like, um, part of my story Taylor is that I fall somewhere on the asexuality spectrum. I'm not sure where exactly or how far or what it is. I haven't looked into it too deeply. I'm just starting to realize that about myself right now. But as of now, 32 years old, I've never wanted to have sex with anybody, with a single person in my whole life. It sounds awful. I don't want to as of right now. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to ever experience that. And yet, I've also experienced arousal. It's not to say I've not experienced arousal because I most certainly have. And and like I think I think there are people out there. I know there are people out there listening who who can resonate to some degree that just because you experience arousal isn't indicative of some like sinister thing that you have to squash or that you have to put away because honestly when i experience arousal like generally you know it's with people that i care a lot about and that's awkward to like admit and say but there's a lot of there's something deeper in there that i think is really important to be aware of and i, I hope that that's something that you know that our listeners and and people who who follow us can can take away that that there's such a good we all have this good desire for intimacy and like how how can we I love how you said we can just like how can we name it and claim it and not name it and claim it. <laughs> how can we name it and then uh, move forward through it? Like that's that's the key. Um, it's been the key for me, I would say, definitely these last few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've come more and more to recognize
3: that being raised within the church and being raised in the context where I've seen um, where 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 sex has always been in the context of a marriage and i've i've seen that displayed in really good and really beautiful ways that my own longing for sex at different times is really not for the sex but for the context in which i know that sex is meant to be a part of so like so the commitment the partnership the companionship the kind of unity and like oneness that comes, that is meant to to be a part of a marriage, that that's what I want so much more than any physical act. But yet like those things, I think I think that as they're meant to be, those things are, are all meant to be connected to one another. Um, and so like, yeah, I've just, yeah, like what you were saying about how um, so often that our, that the core of our longing for, for that kind of physical intimacy is has a root in our like feeling lonely and our our longing to to, to be seen and to be loved by, by a person.
2: Taylor, you've mentioned some different authors, researchers and different studies. Is there like a go-to resource for like attachment theory when it comes to adults? that you like recommend to people or, or is it just kind of like find what study, find the studies and read them? Like wh- what would you say?
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the one book that I recommend to people, um, this is a sort of easy introduction to attachment theory um, is called attachments. Um, I think it's uh, the subtitle is like why you uh, love the way that you do or something like that. And it's um by um, Tim Clinton and Gary Sibsey. Uh, so it's a, a Christian book, so there's a little bit about spirituality in that. Um, it can sometimes be a little, you know, there can sometimes be a little christian in there. Mm. So, you know, you may need to sort of eat the meat and spit out the bones. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a, it's a great resource for uh, an introduction to all the different attachment styles, um, talking about what they look like in relationships, um, and then can begin to give you some tools for how to process and, and work through your own um, into your attachment styles. Uh, unfortunately, um, a lot of the literature is on um uh, husband and wife and uh parent and child and so you won't find like the like uh you know guide for side b christians uh, <laughs> um, Not until but, you write it right yeah that's that's, that's uh, in the future oh gosh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um but you can definitely you know as as uh, i like to say that we're like you know uh, thrifty and we, we we're thrifty as a people group and we sort of pick and pull pull together mm-hmm. and then create mm-hmm. uh, and so uh you you can definitely um find a lot of resonance with uh, especially the romantic partners um male and female husband wife um and so you can you can just say okay well i'll just you know change the dynamic slightly and and mm-hmm. see what it's like so
2: awesome thanks mm-hmm. um i think I, I get the sense that it's customary on a podcast when you have a guest to uh, let them plug something. Is there anything you want to oh, plug? Do you, do you have any books or anything, blogs? Oh no. I, a
1: band, <laughs> my, my
5: space profile oh,
2: stand-up yeah. stand-up routine <laughs> coming up.
5: <laughs> I did have a I did have a Zanga account
2: before.
1: I was on Zanga. Yeah that's
2: how your other brothers started.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well Taylor thanks so much for doing this for being here I feel enriched mm-hmm. I can't speak for Jacob and Ryan but I, <laughs> I personally feel enriched Absolutely. and uh I think our listeners will be too I really appreciate your taking the time to to come on and share a little bit about what you know I think uh yeah I think it I think it's going to help a lot of people just to start to process a lot of the relationships in their lives
5: yeah thank you so much for inviting me
1: yeah I look mm-hmm. forward to actually like meeting you meeting you not just as a face in the crowd but yeah. the face of 2020 there, yeah. there it is yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. i'll make it a point to to meet you yeah thanks so much for taking the time thanks taylor yeah thank you taylor all right much love brother
2: man that was such a meaty episode i felt like there was just so much great content so much great discussion and i'm so thankful for taylor bringing his experience and expertise into into the conversation like, I'm just, I just keep thinking of different, different situations and different ways to apply this and different ways I want to apply this and in, in like specific relationships in my life. Yeah. There are some, some episodes where I'm kind of done. Like, I'm ready
1: to, to move on. I'm ready to go to bed or I'm ready to, you know, change my scenery. And then there are episodes like this one where it's like, I wish we could just talk to Taylor for five more hours because there's just so much, there's so much good um, psychology at play there. But then just like, Sharing stories and just uh, shooting the breeze with y'all, like I Mm -hmm. definitely one of my favorite recordings we've ever done. So, um, Mm -hmm. really appreciate Mm -hmm. Taylor coming on and and oh yeah, Jacob and Ryan, thanks for thanks for joining (laughs) us. Oh yeah,
3: us us too. I was just I was just gonna kind of echo what you said of that. It kind of it feels like we've only uh, scratched the surface of things that he knows and like (laughs) wisdom that that he has. That I think that we should absolutely have him back if he'd
1: be willing to. If if that wasn't a traumatic experience for him, if he doesn't now emotionally (laughs) (laughs) detach from us in a significant way, then yes, I think it would be great to have him come back again. And uh, in the meantime, though, before that happens in between now and our next episode, we'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this episode. So, Tell us about your attachment styles. I'm curious to see if, yeah, if this ambivalent one is as popular, <laughs> as popular of a buffet option as it seems, seems to be based on the, the uh, people in the room on this call and then just in the study that was referenced in the episode. So, um, yeah, check out check out Taylor's post. They're all going to be linked in our show notes and on our blog. And go over to yourotherbrothers.com/podcast. Find the episode 51 post because we are now into our 50s, y'all. I don't know if you heard. But uh, episode 51, find this podcast post and share a story. Tell us about your attachment styles or what you've noticed in your relationships with other men. We would love to share some stories and maybe learn a thing or two from each other because that's always great. Yes, a big shout-out once again to our sponsor, Carabiners, which made this entire Carabiners. entire episode possible. Um, yes, thank you for attaching not only climbers to rocks but house keys to...
2: Skinny jeans. Thank you for attaching in all the right ways. Thank
3: you, Carabiners.
2: Thank you, Carabiners, for providing hundreds of pounds worth of attachment. That is not ambivalent. That is not avoidant. That is secure attachment right there. Mm. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> that was great.
2: Perfect. Our sponsors, don't
1: we have the best sponsors too? We have great listeners. We have great the best sponsors. sponsors. Absolutely. They are so supportive. Uh, yeah. And thanks to our listeners. Thanks to you guys for. I want, once again, 100-plus ratings and reviews. You guys are awesome. Thanks for getting the show. I mean, this is, like, super significant, these last couple episodes, to have, you know, 50-plus episodes and now 100-plus ratings and reviews. So y'all are great. Thanks for supporting the show and keeping it going. Couldn't do it without you. Y'all, this is a great episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time for more fun content. Hopefully... I don't know. Maybe we'll just talk about emotional attachment for the rest of our days. Or maybe
2: we'll maybe we'll go into something <laughs> else next time. Ooh, we'll talk more about arousal. <laughs> or this is
1: the segue to talk about <laughs> arousal and sex. We'll see. Mm. Stay tuned, y'all. In the meantime, for all your other brothers, uh, this is Tom. This, this is, is Ryan. Oh, I'm
4: sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Reminding you that you are not alone. Even the sparrow finds a home. See you next time, everybody.
0: Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to Your Other Brothers Podcast. Navigate more with us at yourotherbrothers.com and comment on this episode at yourotherbrothers.com slash podcast. Subscribe to our show to never miss an episode. And if you enjoy what we do, consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at yourotherbrothers. If you'd like to further support our storytelling effort, consider becoming a Yabber. Yabbers pledge monthly and receive perks like calls with authors and other supporters, access to a secret Facebook group, and additional podcast content. Visit patreon.com slash yourotherbros for more information. Don't miss our monthly bonus podcast on Patreon, The Yabalog Featuring responses to previous podcasts, content not featured in public episodes, calls from listeners, and more. Ask us a question or tell us a story by leaving us a message at 706-389-8009. If you're new to the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at yourotherbrothers.com. You can also write us at Your Other Brothers, P.O. Box 843, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Until we journey next time, we're glad you're with us.